It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who's been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester, together in studio with Jack DeLeon and Sasha Little. Together, we're better known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. Each week, we share with you the latest in what's going on with transportation, from pedal bikes to flying cars and pretty much everything else in between. Mobility is changing and changing fast. We keep you informed with what you need to know so that you can be a well-informed motorist and consumer. We're so glad you chose to join us for this hour. As usual, we have plenty to discuss. On deck, Tesla without Elon Musk? Impossible. Could happen if it's up to the SEC, and we're going to discuss including some late-breaking news on that subject. Rolling coal, if you're familiar with the term, it's smelly, unhealthy, and illegal. But it sounds so cool, though. But it's illegal. (laughs) And we look at what that might mean for aftermarket companies. Mm. Finally... We take a look at what automobile dealers are doing to sell their wares in the digital marketplace. All of that, along with the usual snark and remarks from, of course, the peanut gallery. Now we're the peanut gallery. Yeah. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, call or text me via the Roadworthy Driveline, that number, 872-222-9793. That number is good anytime. If email is your preference, you can reach me at Ken. At roadworthydrive.net. Either way connects you with me and the crew. And uh, speaking of the crew, what, what? how are we doing? We're doing great. Um, I'm doing well. Battled fog and, uh, and uh, shall we say, very enthusiastic deer. How many? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> way too many to count. Yeah. Um, when you see the life flash before your eyes and you understand that, you know, yes, you really did look like that as a toddler. You're not mm. really counting the deer. Actually, I've been there. <laughs> Understand totally. <laughs> Except that was the time the deer decided to um, rest become, on your hood. Uh, engage with the <laughs> brand new Lincoln I was driving. Ooh, ooh! What year was that Lincoln? That was a brand new. That was three years ago. It was 2015. Oh, it was oh, in the fall. Oh, um, it was a little just before seven in an October night. Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, and just north and west of here, uh-huh. uh huh, coming down a hill towards a creek. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's just say that the buck came diagonally Ooh. up out the creek. Yeah, took out my side view mirror. Uh huh. Crushed my fender. Mm. Rolled under the hood. Ooh. Rolled up over the vehicle. Of course. Fell down on the other side and kicked out some of the sensors in the rear bumper. So basically, what you're saying is, then got up, shook himself off. <laughs> Bounced once and he was gone. And that is an Iowa deer. That is totally. A, that is... I went looking for him. <laughs> I bet you. And uh, if the deer's listening, <laughs> you owe me for the repairs. <laughs> Thought I'd just put that out there. <laughs> really, we're going there already this morning. Oh, okay, we Mr. Are. Chester. We are. Parts oh. been this week. Let's go. I don't think he appreciates the deer I mean, story. No, I had a deer story. We gotta. We gotta go, people. I yeah. mean, 
Can't we just share deer stories? Um, I had an HHR. The executive producer says another time. <laughs> Mr. But Chester. But it's deer season. <laughs> it is deer season. No, it's rabbit season. Oh. Rabbit season. <laughs> uh, duck no. season. No. Rabbit season. Duck no. season. No. No. <laughs> it's time to talk about yachts. Oh, we're Yacht. going to talk about yachts. Okay. We are. The Lexus LY650 mm. luxury yacht. Uh, we had talked about the prototype. A while back. Does we it did, turn into a car? No. So. But this thing, it's based on the LS500, their sedan. Uh, and let's see. Let me read this. It's actually their fourth. It, um, they consider this the flagship of the water, mm. joining the LS sedan, the LX SUV, and the LC coupe. Okay. So here's my question. Yes. So you have this. Let's say that you're a Lexus fan, like you've got the Lexus jacket mm-hmm. and the Lexus house and whatever. Mm-hmm. So does your car like drive into the no, yacht? No, 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 no. So when they designed the Lexus sedan, mm-hmm. some guy on that team was like, you know what? You know what would make this just really pop? We need to make this a yacht. Actually, Toyota has been in the yacht making business for over 20 years. I'm just saying, I mean, I remember back in the day where the vehicles were as large as a yacht driving down the road. Well, see, it's the here's the cool part. (laughs) It's a Lexus design, (laughs) but this thing is actually built in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. And we talked about that. The same people, the same company, uh, Marquise Larson, who built the prototype. Yep. Yep. But now, um, to give you an idea, um, the prototype was 42 feet. The LY650 is 65 feet Ooh, in length wow. with a 19-foot beam. Ooh. And uh, their words, not mine. Uh-huh. The newest Lexus yacht has a distinguished style found in the strong, pronounced bow. Or bow, excuse me. Bow, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm a car guy, not, not a boat guy. But you're from... Curve, curved-decked accents. Um, their words, not mine. Okay. Accentuated at the hips. <laughs> Viewed from the profile, the elegant rise and fall of the yacht's distinctly Lexus roofline flows into the rising broad hips of the rear section. <laughs> this, folks, I'm not making this up. This is from the press release from Lexus. Mm. Now, how many Just people? Just so we're clear. How many people are they thinking that that yacht? Because I remember. I mean, I remember. Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. I, I'm looking at a black and white, yeah. grainy picture, by the way. It, I hey, mean, it's what that, you got. You know, there's Bigfoot in the back, but Big it's still. <laughs> uh, by the way, his his next complaint mm. is going to be that the suits won't pay for a color printer. Oh, I absolutely love how. I, on, I'd still like to get a seat. I'm looking at the picture of this, and it looks to be like the upper deck, which is like an enclosed, and it, it looks like a, like a bar area where everybody, mm. and there's a TV, on the floor. Of this, and I'm assuming that that's some kind of carpet mixed with hard surface, is the Lexus emblem in a circle. Mm. And those of you who like, like, the Avengers and stuff like that, that's what it puts you in like, the mind. Maybe, maybe the bat. The bat. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> the bat look, sign. I'm not lying. Uh, yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> in any case, Lexus has not announced pricing ah. for this thing. Five dollars. Uh, or, or, no, I'm sure it's a lot more than that. Uh, none of us can afford it, and the suits will say no. Indeed. Um, have... let, let's change gears just a little bit and just talk about something that everybody needs. <gasps> okay. Everybody needs this. The Tesla Roadster. No. Oh, speaking of that this morning, <laughs> I actually got behind a Model S. Yeah. Like behind the wheel or just behind no, one? No, behind one. And how was that? Um, 
And what color? White. Ugh. Oh, I think I've seen that one. It's it's white. I mean, I'm like going, oh my gosh, that's a Model S. Nice, I, 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 right? I've actually seen a Model X. So have I. I've been inside one. I, so have I, actually. Mm. But yeah, and, and that was in a Model S. Too. That was kind of unbelievable this morning. Well, yeah. let me let me change gears because this is something everybody needs: an automated parking valet. No. By Daimler and Bosch. Of course it is. Uh, because um, you need something to park your autonomous car. Right. Now, automated valet parking doesn't seem like a necessary component of automated driving, but it could very well make parking in general a lot easier in a utopian or dystopian, depending on your opinions, mm. future where cars drive themselves. And Mercedes and Bosch developed a way to do that. Um, so they're saying, and I quote again, their, their release, um, if, if you're having trouble parking, <laughs> they said they get it. The Daimler Bosch... Feel your pain. Now, because my autonomous car, it's not going to be parked because when it's parked, it's not making me money. Ah. So while I'm in by shopping or something like that, it's going to be available. So here's the thing. What they're saying is basically the idea is you don't have to ever park your car. Right. And you don't have to trust someone else to do it. Right. You just have to let your car, and I quote, do its own thing. I'm kind of scared about that. No, I'm you know, frightened. Okay. Right? All, the way it works, you need to park your car in a designated drop-off area. Uh-huh. Then you use a smartphone app to send the car off to <gasps> park itself. Now, the parking lot uh, has decked out with all sort of intelligent infrastructure. It'll be able to register any vehicle in the area right, right. and monitor everything. <clears throat> so it's not like sending it off. Uh, to do battle or anything. So can so we be cool. like the Batman scene where he like calls for the car and then like the car stop? That's about the point where we're going to get. You know, there's a new... Uh, you realize a- that they've done that in Tesla. And in fact, in Iron Man, yeah, in the right? Audi, it's yeah. exactly what he yeah. does. The yeah. car is following him. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm right there with you. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not as far away as you think, folks. So uh, well, automated parking. The only problem is the infrastructure is not in place yet. But it will be. With all the with all the space we're going to free up because of autonomous cars for parking, yeah, we will have that opportunity to see this work probably sooner rather than later. Now, coming up next, Elon Musk in, is in some serious trouble with the Federal Securities and Exchange Commission over a tweet last month. Um, could he end up losing control of Tesla? We're going to talk about that. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are tuned in to Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. in the town. They thought they'd stop the good guys from keeping prices down. But the Dodge Boys brought chargers. They cut the price and then the competition cried, look out, here they come again. For the white hat special, a special car, gonna save you dough. At a special price, for the white hat special, they've done it again. Keeping prices low. 
The Dodge Boys White Hat Special Charger is selling at a special reduced price. You get options like vinyl tops, special wheel covers, white walls, and many others. Follow the good guys and see the White Hat Special Charger today. See the White Hat Special. You'll find the price is low. See all the White Hat Specials at the Dodge Boys near you. The only thing we're missing in that commercial is Kmart's Blue Light Special. Oh, no, I miss the Dodge Boys. <laughs> well, you, you get the best deals from the Dodge Boys. Uh, not anymore. Well, I'm not there. I'm not there. If you're just joining us, this is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, your host. Together, I'm in studio with Sasha Little and Jack DeLeon, better known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. No, actually, the peanut gallery. Nice. Wow. Nice. Wow. Is that how that's going to be? Okay. All right. You're the one that said that last segment. Ugh, no love. I'm just telling you. There's plenty of love. <laughs> Is there? Accuracy. Ah. Well, speaking of accuracy, mm-hmm. um, I was getting ready for this uh, segment on yesterday when our executive producer shared some information. Um, probably by the time that the listeners get this, uh, we're probably past the point. But we're going to talk about what's fresh right now. Now, we've been talking about Tesla and been talking about Tesla. Um, I knew in in August when that particular tweet went out. From uh, Elon Musk. From Elon Musk saying financing secured. Yep. uh, Public companies and pronouncements like that. Yeah, they don't like pronouncements like that. Um, The SEC, I knew was going to eventually fine him. Um. And they got right to it. The first go-round, the way it was going to be, Elon was going to resign. He wouldn't be able to – he was going to resign for, I guess, the way that they had it planned. He was going to be out. Um, They'd have to add a couple of directors, uh, but, you know, and pay a nominal fine. Right. He didn't like that idea. Of course not. Then the SEC said, okay. So they actually filed a lawsuit in the Southern District of New York. 23 pages, I actually went through it. And uh, they basically detailed for over the last four to five years. Um, so they were they were gunning for him. They wanted him out completely at that point. I mean, it, the biggest, really, it boils down to this. The reason why they got bent all out of shape about what he posted in Twitter was basically something the company had said almost five years ago. That bottom line, the company had said, that Twitter was going to be the main way that the company disseminated material information about Tesla and that Elon Musk was the company's spokesman that ha- had authority to speak on their behalf. Right. They actually filed what they call a Form 8K with the Securities and Exchange Commission stating that back in 2013. Okay, now you're in the weeds. I am in the weeds. But here's the thing. If you've told the government and they accept it, that this is the way you are going to communicate to shareholders any major news about your publicly held company that will affect the stock price of said company. And if you show a history in said Twitter of complaining about short sellers. Now, what short selling is, people believe the price of your company is going to go down. Right. So they borrow the stock they don't own. They sell that stock. Mm-hmm. They believe that it, that in short selling, which is what this is, as the price you, that of your stock falls, that they will be able to replace that stock that they borrowed with stock that caught with at a lower price. 
The okay. difference between what they sold the stock they borrowed for and the cost of the stock they bought to replace it is mm-hmm. how they make their profit. If you, as a public as a official of a public company, make such pronouncements that boost the price of the stock, you just squeeze your short sellers. They now have to rush to cover it at a higher cost, and they're going to lose money. Okay. If what you said was untrue, it's fraud. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, what Mr. Musk said between August 7th and August 13th could be construed as fraudulent, along combined with the statements of being angry at the short sellers and that they were going to get burned, which meant there was probably, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, pre, oh, I forget the word. Premeditation. Thank you. That's exactly the word. That his comments were premeditated. So it was a lot deeper than that. Bottom line, this is what finally, this is what the SEC and Tesla decided. Um, They settled it on Saturday Mm -hmm. after trying to remove him. Um, The the way that it works, Elon Musk personally is going to pay a fine of $20 million. Right. Right. Tesla is going to pay $20 million. Correct. Now we're splitting hairs a little bit. Elon steps down as chairman. But he gets to stay as CEO. So, in effect, the day-to-day operations, he's still running the company. Okay. It's also important to note that Elon Musk is Tesla's largest shareholder. He owns 20% of the company. And let that settle. So, even if he wasn't an officer, now he gets to stay on the board, too, uh, of the company. But what the company will also do, uh, they've agreed, because of what the SEC wanted, to uh, appoint two new keyword here, independent board members, and establish a new committee of directors to create and create controls to oversee Mr. Musk's communications. Wow. In other words, he can't just go off on a tangent anymore. It's got to clear a committee. So if he says any seriously, this is what he this is what he settled with the SEC. This is the deal. Now, finally, with all of that. And this is a quote, Tesla plans to enhance its social media usage policy for executives and Mr. Musk will be required to have the company sign off on any written statements that could be deemed material. Like, for example, getting enough financing to take the company private. Okay, let me ask you a question. Yeah. If this is all true, isn't it in three years he can come back? Yeah, but as chairman. The, yeah, but the point is, honestly, it's kind of moot. I mean, chairman is the the last word on the very top of the company, but the CEO, chief executive officer, that and either chief operating officer, or president, these are the folks that are day to day in the weeds running things. Yeah. What happens if it had come to the point where they got Elon Musk completely out of Tesla? Um, <laughs> uh, that would be interesting, considering that, like I said, he's the largest shareholder. Yep. If they remove him out of the line operations, uh, he's so interwined with the company, I don't know if the company survives. I guess that's something we're just going to have to see and see what you know the markets will do and see if this has any effect on the company's ability to do what they need to do. If you're familiar with the term rolling coal, then you know it's loud and smelly. But did you know it was illegal? That's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. 
roadworthydrive.com to check out Ken's blog, listen to past shows, and the times when you can see the show on Facebook Live. Okay, you two, there will be no more talking between segments. Oh, tons of talking. There's tons, no fun. Y'all tons be, of talking. Uh, yeah, well, like I always say, real Start facts, real opinions, and real talk, and real talking between segments. Right, right. Uh, this is Roadworthy Drive, manager of the Mobility Mosaic, demystifier of the ever-increasing technology in and around vehicles we own and the cars we drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Jack and Sasha of the Roadworthy Drive crew, sometimes referred to as the Peanut Gallery. What? Hey, you know, what can I, I don't know why he does that. How many years we've been doing this now? Uh, like 14? Yeah. yeah. Right? Not. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> For those of you who wish to learn more about the show, check out our website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. Watch videos of our behind the scenes antics, listen to audio clips of prior shows. And so much more. For those of you who are active in the world of social media, be sure to like us on Facebook and check out our Twitter feed. Sasha keeps things light and lively during the week between shows with her inspirational, interesting, and thought-provoking posts. Thought-provoking, no. Thought-provoking. Indeed. See how Sasha keeps the social in our social media. For those of you on the go, be sure to check us out on, so- on Google Play, Blueberry Podcasting, or Stitcher. We have you covered. Jack, do you know what rolling coal is? No, I've actually never heard of the term. Really? Really? really. And uh, you drive a truck. It's okay, Sasha. I got this. I mean. I got, I got this. Okay. For those of you who may not know, rolling coal has to do with diesel trucks. It has to do with basically overriding, turning off, or otherwise defeating the emission controls part of the truck. Oh, you're... And forcing more fuel into the vehicle in order to get a very black, sooty exhaust. Okay. Oh, okay. He is putting this in a really, really, really... No. What he needs to say is, you rev up the engine, and big clouds come out of the stacks on the side, and it looks really cool. And no, because And you... everybody around there goes, has... There has to be <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and the reason why I bring this up... Right. Uh, two reasons. One. Because it's cool. No. One, because it's against the law. Correct. Oh. Two, because the EPA just fined one company $300,000 plus an additional $6.25 million Ooh. to bring the company and its tuning products up to standards. Um, and in case you think this particular company was singled out, I did a little more research. And on the EPA website, this action is one of 29 brought against companies this year, uh, manufacturers that make everything from uh, trucks to outdoor lawn, garden, and forestry equipment, and even one action against a motorcycle manufacturer. Okay, so here's my question real quick. Are we talking about third, like um, the aftermarket companies? In some cases, yes. And so these are the companies that me as a diesel truck driver, let's say I've got Owner. grandpa's Let's say I've got Grandpa's truck, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to put some smokestacks on there, and I want you to recalibrate it so that way I can make, you know, the Prius behind me choke on my exhaust, right? Right. That company is under fire because the services that they are rendering are allowing- against the law because it violates the Clean Air Act. 
Okay, so they're going after the services. They're going after manufacturers, aftermarket companies. They're going after everybody. Anyone who provides a device that otherwise disables or defeats the emission control systems of the vehicle as it was manufactured. Uh, Basically, can anybody say Volkswagen? Oh, Hello, somebody. Yeah. You don't just get there. Stepping on the gas, if the truck is properly uh, configured, even a diesel truck, you're not going to get rolling coal unless you defeat the purpose. But she brings up a good point because really that is the thing. Uh, and I want to read this. Let me let me find this because she uh, brought up a perfect point, uh-huh. almost as if you know she actually attended the pre-production. Almost day. like she does research. Yeah, like maybe she brought up this. Um, mm. <laughs> now, but here's the thing: this particular settlement with this particular company is uh-huh. called Derived Systems. Okay, and the EPA is the first of its kind. The newly established practices would include new product development procedures, revamped product testing. Uh, training and a certification program for all employees and product resellers. Now, will this create almost like a black market for those who want this done? Because now, if the EPA is going after suppliers and modifications uh, that uh, services, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm listening. I want you to finish because you're playing right into my next page here. What? It's again. It's like she does research. I know. Um. So Imagine this, that. I know, right? Wow. So I want to take a point off of yours to ask him. Okay. At what point in time does the vehicle owner start See? getting fined in this? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked me that. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Depending on where you are. Country. Violators are subject to civil penalties ah. of $45,268 per non-compliant vehicle or engine. And $4,527 per tampering event or sale of defeat device. And $45,268 a day for reporting and record-keeping violations. And in some states, uh, state fines on top of that Mm -hmm. could be upwards of $5,000. So wait, 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 wait. If I'm driving my grandpa's diesel that I've had all tricked out, so now it's got, you know, the stacks and everything else. You're telling me that they're me that I've got it. I'm going to get fined forty five thousand dollars. If well, hold on. If you're using a defeat device, now the smokestacks don't automatically. I get make what you you're saying, right? Right. But, but if, if you got... if you went to the software that defeated the original emission control devices, right? That kept it in compliance with the Clean Air Act. Uh huh. Then yeah, you could be liable. Now these are for the manufacturer, but. There are state violations in some states, upwards of $5,000 for the owner. Okay, hold on. If I've got a 1970s diesel, this ain't going to comply anyway. Yeah, but you know what? If you put in something to add to it, make it worse, because there was some preliminary (sighs) compliance um, as of the late 60s, and with rolling coal, you're actually creating pollution. So while you may not trip up the EPA, you may end up getting tripped up by your local Board of Health or your local state uh, environmental protection agency. Yes, Sasha. Okay, so for those of us that live out in the country, y'all know what I'm about to bring up. What about our wagon wagon races and the truck poles? What about them? 
I mean, some of those, I mean, we distinctly look forward to the huge pooms of black smoke. And I'm not saying that all of them did do a modification. Yeah, a modification. But I am saying that I'm going to bet very highly that a lot of them yeah, did. But, but in that case, these are short race situations like a tractor pull. Mm-hmm. You're talking in, what, a minute and a half? Two minutes? Yeah. Per, yeah. per event? As opposed to somebody, no, no, not per. I mean, these go on for hours. I know, but in that particular competition of that particular tractor oh, against okay, a tractor, okay, right. it may be all day, but that particular device uh, probably only for a few seconds. Finally, we have covered the evolving transportation mosaic from a number of angles, but what about car dealers in this brave new world? Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. Listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. This is the fourth and final segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Sasha and Jack. Together, we are the Roadworthy Drive crew. Now, I want to end this hour by talking about car dealers. And no, I'm not going to be bashing or insulting anyone. It's not that kind of conversation. Rather, I want to share with you what they are doing in response to the changing business model, which is a lot more than what ha- just what happens in the lot or the showroom. It has to do with everything, from the rise of digital buying services like Joy Drive and Carvana, to peer-to-peer vehicle rental companies like Toro, to transportation that ain't even a car, truck, crossover, or minivan. And obviously, there's a lot of money at stake. Yeah. So let me start with a few statistics. 40%. All right. That is of the dealers, new car dealers, that said they were considering changes to the sales process. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. What kind of changes? We're going to get into that, but a few more numbers. Less than 60% okay. of car buyers said that they visited two or more dealerships. Basically, the average is 1.3 dealers. And usually the dealer that they're going to is one that they bought from before. Not necessarily. Here's what's happening. Dealers are having to confront a more intelligent buyer who's doing more research online and wants to eliminate... The dealers want to eliminate the friction that people find in going through the process, negotiating, buying, selecting a car. What's happening is people doing all their research, they're getting down to that dealer, that car, and then showing up. This is what I want. Okay. Um, In our current marketplace, you know, the biggest thing right now, they said on average, takes three hours from the time you walk on the lot to drive away with a car. I would agree with that. Most people complain that's too long. Well, you've got dealers at least here that are now saying, we'll get you in and out in one hour. That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's coming from. They're trying. Dealers are look. I mean, car buying and selling is a hundreds of billions of dollars worth of business. Correct. Yep. Studies say, ironically, while people like buying a new car, there's a piece they don't like. And that gets into finance and insurance. 
and evaluating the trade-in. Yep. Here's some thoughts. Um, there's one dealership um, in the country, and I forget where exactly. I think they're in California, uh, where the staff is testing out a new process, asking a buyer to help evaluate his own trade-in, handing the customer an iPad so they can go through the appraisal along this with the staff, providing information on the car's condition and history. They feel that it helps build transparency into the process. You know, and I'm actually surprised that they don't put in uh, the haggle price on, you know, what they do not look forward to. I, for one, absolutely hate buying a car for that one reason. I don't like the fact that I can go in there and we'll just use brand new cars. Okay. Same model, same car. I might pay four grand more than someone else just because they haggled down, just because they had a different kind of uh, salesperson, just because, you know, whatever the reason, I don't like the variables. But here, but hold on. Here's the thing. What dealers are doing, What first of all, in today's market, most people are doing the research. They want consistency and transparency. Yep. If they do all this online, what they find online, they expect at the dealer. Can, and, I, t- can I tell you something? Mm. I found a dealer who got swallowed up by somebody else, but this is back in the 90s. Oh, okay. I found an older gentleman who was my salesperson. Okay. I said, I don't want no BS. You tell me the price you're going to give me for my vehicle, and you tell me what you want for yours, and then we'll talk. But don't don't inflate my trade to get me into this into this where I find out later that I'm really not where I want to be. Yeah, I just I I wish that car buying was kind of like buying Tylenol. If I go to Walmart, all my Walmarts are going to charge me one price. If I go to Aldi's, all my all the Aldi's are going to charge me one price. I don't like the fact that you have to, you know, go through all of these processes. And then even if you go to the same dealership, that same dealership will sell that exact same car at 14 different prices. It just depends on who walks in the door. Part of that is being dealt with because of the rise of the Internet. Because mm-hmm. you can shop and you can find the prices. What And why, why you have outfits like Carvana... Yep. And Joyride. Yep. The dealers realize this, and the enlightened dealers are eliminating that level of friction. The words are trust and transparency. Mm-hmm. That's what they're working towards here, in that their work, they realize that today, unlike when I was selling cars back in the 70s, where you didn't have that information. Back then, all you had was consumer reports. Yeah. And I, I do remember that one fella that came in to buy that car that had done all his research. Mm-hmm. He had his price. He knew what he wanted to pay for it. He was prepared to put a deposit down. And if I didn't meet his price, he was going to walk out. Mm-hmm. I didn't let him walk out. I went to the boss. Boss approved the deal. And that was 40 years ago. Today, the average consumer does their homework. Right now, statistically, the average consumer has done most of the work before the dealer ever sees them. Yeah. They know what your vehicle costs, what they want to pay for it. They have some idea what their vehicle's worth, and they know where they should be. The biggest problems, part like what Sasha said, the trade-in where the numbers get a little funky, and the F&I. These are the issues. Okay. Can you believe a source like 
Kelly Blue Book or no. Edmonds when no. you go to trade your car. I, no. Kelly's Blue Book, at least on used vehicles, I found to be high. It's been my experience. Uh, but there's that. There's Edmonds. There's cu- places like CarMax. There's so many more different opportunities that the, the flexibility that dealers had to maximize profit are largely gone. Yep. Because if I can go to CarMax and get a price or I can go to Carvana or I can go to Joyride or I can go somewhere else and get a price for that same model or even another company like TrueCar. True car doesn't. Oh, love true, true car. True car doesn't just tell you what to pay for it. Yep. they give you the range. Yep, and then they'll show like the one person that talked them down like four grand more. They'll show that one price. Yeah, on there. They'll show you where a good price is, and that's online. Yep, I've been looking at used vehicles online. It will tell you the dealer whether they're in sync, whether it's a good price, a bad price, a high price, a low price. So all of this is going on, and the dealers are reacting to it. They again. Trust and transparency is where the enlightened dealers are going because that is what the market demands. And if you don't do it, you don't sell it. And that's the way it is. That, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this hour of adventure and discovery. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This has been Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.